0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to another Bald Guy podcast with your host, Jeff Brown, and our guest, Brian Eastman. Hello, everyone. This is Jeff Brown, the Bald Guy. Thanks for tuning in to this podcast. I'm with Brian Eastman, an elite expert on retirement plans like 401ks and IRAs. How are you doing, Brian? Doing very well, thanks. What we're going to talk about today, people, is three basic things. We're going to talk about LLCs versus trusts for IRAs that are self-controlled to get a checking account. We're going to be talking about what's called RMDs, required minimum distributions for various retirement plans and who might be able to escape them if possible. And the last subject will be talking about are there any... Any people besides independent contractors or business owners who can make use of the fantastic solo 401k. So let's start with that first one, Brian. What's the difference when you're running a self directed IRA, whether it's Roth or traditional pre tax, between having an LLC for your checking account or an IRA trust?
1: Well, you know, it really boils down to just doing business in in California. The concept for both. Programs is the same. It's a two-layered structure. You have an IRA at the back end. The IRA owns the legal entity, the LLC or the trust, kind of like you know, regular IRA might own a fund. That legal entity is the mechanism that gives our our client control over the funds, the checkbook. They'll they'll do all their transacting through the LLC or the trust under the umbrella of the IRA. So they both sort of accomplish that that same goal. The key difference is, is you know, we have a lot of intersection with California, either people based in California or making an investment that takes place in California. And California taxes LLCs. Uh, an LLC or any, any business entity is required to um, uh, file an annual tax return. There's a minimum tax of $800. The tax return itself is relatively complex to fill out and not designed for an LLC that's owned by an IRA so you really have to fill it all out and then try and sort of through the back door communicate to the, to the California Franchise Tax Board that this is IRA money and it's only going to be subject to that $800 minimum. And it's just it's, it's an expense and an ordeal uh, in that format. By contrast the trust is not something that the California Franchise Tax Board looks at. It's, it is still a legal entity. It still provides the control necessary, but it just doesn't intersect with the tax taxing authority. It, it can go out and it can be a mechanism to deploy the IRA funds, and, and you don't have all that headache at the tax filing. So it's a tremendous advantage uh, for, for clients with a California presence.
0: Only in California, Brian, have they figured out how to charge people eight hundred dollars to tell them that they don't owe any tax exactly okay, so that's I love that explanation that is just perfect because and and this is something maybe you can expand on just for a minute or so is that mm-hmm. uh even if somebody lives in Missouri and they have an l l c checkbook control for their ira their self directed IRA, if they invest in something that is in California. They're going to get caught in that net, aren't they?
1: They are. They are. California looks at your California nexus. So, yeah, you say you have a Missouri LLC and it does fifty percent of its business in Missouri and it, and it puts fifty percent of its capital into say some corporation or LLC in California. That creates California nexus. California wants to tax that California generated income. Uh, when I talk about this, I a little story I tell my clients is you could be an Arizona resident, you could be doing business in Arizona, and if you walk up to the border with California and sneeze, California thinks you have a nexus with the state of California, and they're going to want some yep. sneeze. I mean, it, it, it's, yep. it's, about that, it's about that crazy.
0: It's exactly that crazy. Born and raised in California, I can tell you, you just nailed it.
1: Yep. Oh, no, I spent the first 35 years of my life there as well, and it, it can be a real nice place in a lot of ways, but the, 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 the taxing regime is a little crazy.
0: It pretty much begins and ends with the weather, Brian. Okay, uh, the next the next subject is uh, RMDs, which stands for Required Minimum Distributions. Um, when do they come in play, and how might uh, a person escape them?
1: Well, there's two places where a, a retirement plan is subject to required minimum distributions. Firstly, whether it's an IRA or a 401k, when the account holder reaches age 70 and a half. And that's the point at which you can no longer make new contributions into the plan and you're required to start drawing the plan down. You now, the idea is, is that taxes have been deferred on this money for a good long time as you've been in your earning years. Once you get in your retirement and your drawdown years, it's the end of the line. They want, they want to start getting paid on some of the income. So you're required to take a certain amount out. There's a calculation that's done based on the account value and your age, that factor that's multiplied by decreases a little bit each year, so so a larger percentage of the account comes out with the idea that, I forget off the top of my head, but basically you're going to drain the account by the time you're about 105 is the idea. So that's the, the concept behind required minimum distributions. The other instance where you might run into that is with an inherited uh, IRA. So if a uh, Someone who's not the the spouse of of someone, say a, a child, inherits an IRA. They're immediately going to be subject to those RMDs on that I- inherited account if it's a a, a tax deferred account. So those those are the the places where it comes into play. Uh, there's you know a couple components in in managing that uh, that, that come into play. Uh, if you have multiple different IRAs, you're going to calculate the value on each. Uh, that's going to give you a number that needs to be pulled out. So long as you pull the sum total from somewhere, you've met your obligation. And, and, and the issue is, is if you don't pay, I mean, if you don't take the distribution, there's a federal tax of 50% on the amount that you were supposed to draw out. So you, you definitely want to take those distributions. Um, so so that's the, the concept. So, I, you know, we've got a lot of clients who might have a self-directed IRA with a certain amount of money in it uh, and another conventional IRA somewhere else they calculate the numbers on both and they may t- split the distributions they may take them all from one or all from the other you've got some flexibility there but it's it's a process that needs to be uh, managed and figured uh, we did some some rough calculations by the way and if you have an account that's earning five percent you will not need to dip into your principal to meet those required minimum distributions until you're about 86 uh, the earnings themselves will produce enough to meet the the distribution requirements. So uh, that's the way to to manage the process. The um, way to escape it is is pretty simple. You either (laughs) you either die or you uh, you you take the uh, the the money out of a tax-deferred account and you get it into a Roth account. Because Roth IRAs are not subject to those required distributions during the account holder's life when they are inherited the person inheriting the account would be required uh, to take distributions. But during your own lifetime, you can
0: eliminate the
1: need to take distributions from a Roth IRA.
0: Which is why people should have in their plan that by the year they turn 70 and a half, they want to very formally move over their pre-tax stuff into a Roth IRA that they direct so that by the time they hit 70 and a half, they're just simply immune from the RMDs right and
1: as with anything on a roth conversion the, the sooner you can do that the better because the longer money's in the account and the the, the higher the rate of return the the more of a tax benefit you're going to get from that tax free status of the roth so you know, it's not something where you want to say oh at at, at age 69 and a half i'm going to convert you know my million dollar portfolio you you'd want to incrementally do that over time and, and and do as as much as possible as early as possible to get the maximum amount of benefit
0: absolutely and the, and the lessen the amount of tax pain By taking more years to do it.
1: Exactly. And we work with a lot of clients, and they sit down when they work with their CPA, and they say, well, if I do a $50,000 conversion, I stay in this tax bracket. If I do a $60,000 conversion, I jump up a bracket. So I'm going to stay under that 60 threshold. And they evaluate that each year. Sometimes you might have some kind of a loss somewhere that can offset the cost of doing a Roth conversion, and that's a great time to take advantage and move some money. So there's a lot of strategies to, to make that conversion that can be beneficial.
0: Gotcha. Well, let's move on to the last question. Can anybody but independent contractors or business owners make use of the very much beloved Solo 401k? Yeah, the Solo
1: 401k is a fantastic, fantastic program. Uh, You know, not only is it, you know, self-directed and inflexible on the investment side, but it's got both tax deferred and Roth components. There's the ability to transition from the two internally with the plan, within the plan more simply and and very high contribution limits to to reduce taxation in your earning years. I mean, it's a fantastic tool. Uh, It is a tool that is designed for an owner only business format. And that can mean a lot of things, but basically it means that, you know, your business, whether it's a sole proprietorship or a corporation or an LLC, doesn't have any non-owner employees working more than a thousand hours a year. Uh, So I do have, you know, a a lot of clients in that plan who are uh, just completely independent, you know, they're real estate agents or some kind of a a tech consultant, uh, maybe with their own business or or, or whatnot, somebody like that. I do have a handful of of doctors who are sort of properly configured where they work as an independent contractor to some larger employer like a hospital or, or, or whatnot. Uh, There's a handful of folks who may have a larger business with some level of employees who qualify, uh, and that's either where you have some folks who are seasonal business owners. Maybe they have a little uh, resort property up at a mountain lake or something like that, and they, for the most part, run it themselves, but then during the summer they hire a couple people. But nobody works more than 1,000 hours a year because that's the threshold at which that employee would need to be offered Uh, entrance into the plan and once you have non-owner employees in the plan now it can't be a solo plan which is super simple to administer and a great great tool now it has to be a more formal more complex more difficult to uh, administer ERISA uh, 401k plan that provides those those employee benefits so staying under that threshold um, certain types of uh, leased employees or uh, people who are legitimately independent contractors providing a service to your business. I have, I have folks who you know, run some kind of a sales-oriented business, and they have some independent contractors on, on you know, commission-only basis receiving 1099 income. Well, those don't count as employees. So you can't have a, a larger enterprise in some formats and still qualify for the 401k. It's sort of a narrow bandwidth, but it's, it's a great opportunity for a lot of people who do fit. I, I'd say, you know, in our business... About 35%, 40% of the people that we work with you know, can qualify for that, that plan format.
0: Yeah, I love them. I love them. Today. Oh, they're great. Well, listen, you have been a font of information today. Thanks. Absolutely. Absolutely. Everybody, thanks for listening. Uh, join us next time. Have a great week. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to The Bald Guy Podcast with Jeff Brown and our guest, Brian Eastman.